What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast. The show that explores the background of Tolkien's amazing world from the very beginning. With the destruction of the ring... The Second Age comes to a close. I want you to think about moments in time like this. These extraordinary moments where all of a sudden everything you've been working for, everything, everyone around you has been hoping for comes into being. Have you ever had one of those moments where you worked so hard and you finally got the job that you wanted or got the attention of that very special someone and they agreed to go on the date with you or maybe they proposed There are times like this where in a moment it feels like the entire world changes. And maybe it does. Maybe it does for you. And maybe it does for the entire world. In this moment, Sauron was defeated. The ring was taken. And the last alliance between men and elves served its purpose and I'm sure they were ecstatic to be able to throw down the Dark Lord but there were still some issues what about the ring what about the lands of Gondor the kingdoms of men the elves but most importantly for this episode what about Isildur What would he do now that he was the last remaining of his family and in possession of the One Ring? This part of the story, this part of this final chapter 
of the Silmarillion begins like this. Thus began the third age of the world, after the eldest days and the black years. And there was still hope in that time, and the memory of mirth. And for long, the white tree of the Eldar flowered in the courts of the kings of men. This begins with a feeling of hope. As we've seen so many times, a white tree flowering is a good sign. It represents the will of the Valar. It represents humanity in line with Iluvatar. People doing what they're supposed to do. Hope. The black years are done. But that doesn't mean that evil has been destroyed completely. The very next part of this, we are reminded about the forces of evil. The servants of Sauron were routed and dispersed. So that's a good sign. Yet, they were not wholly destroyed. And though many men turned now from evil and became subject to the heirs of Elendil, yet many more remembered Sauron in their hearts and hated the kingdoms of the West. The darkness that Sauron had seeded in the hearts of men still lingered on. Many of them turned away. They saw the triumph of the armies of Gondor, the power of the men in the West. And some of them turned, but some of them didn't. So this raises some questions. Sauron is destroyed, but what happens to Mordor? What happens to his Dark Tower? We're told that the Dark Tower was leveled to the ground, but in Tolkien fashion, and this is another reflection of things that we've seen in the past, its foundations remained, and it was not forgotten. So two things here. First of all, we've seen dark fortresses destroyed before, and yet the foundations, the depths, the dungeons of those locations remained underground and couldn't ever really be destroyed. Also, it was not forgotten. This line means two things. Of course, it was not forgotten by the men of Gondor and the elves, because this was a dark land full of terrible things that happened. But it also was not forgotten by the forces of Sauron and Sauron's spirit. And men knew this. They were aware of this. It says in the next line, the Numenorians indeed set a guard upon the land of Mordor, but none dared dwell there because of the terror of the memory of Sauron and because of the mountain of fire that stood nigh to Baradur in the valley of Gorgoroth was filled of ash. This was a land that nobody could live in. They couldn't even put a group of people here over long periods of time to try to transform the land, to make it less seeded with evil in some way. There's nothing they could do other than guard around it because no person was willing to spend much time there at all. It was so defiled. And historically, 
dark. Just the memories of what had gone on here would have haunted those individuals who would have had to live in this area in order to try to make it better. But nobody would. And then we're reminded about the tolls of war. Many of the elves and many of the Numenorians and the men who were their allies had perished in the battle and the siege. And Elendil the Tall and Gilgalad, the High King, were no more. We lost great people and many of both of the armies in this. And again, we're reminded that never again was such a host assembled, nor was there any such league of elves and men. For after Elendil's day, the two kindreds became estranged. The third age is not a golden age by any means. You would assume on some level after accomplishing something like this by working together that the two races would be closer than ever. But that's not what happens. So you can see that this beginning, the very beginning of the Third Age, is filled with both hope and sorrow. It took the lives of so many to stand against Sauron, to bring an end to his darkness, if even yet just temporary. The ring still exists, and it is in the hands of one individual, Isildur. And my gut feeling about that, having all of this knowledge about the Lord of the Rings, the books, watching the movies, engaging with this content for so long, is this feeling of dread. To imagine what that ring is doing in the most powerful man in Middle-earth. He's the one who cut it from Sauron's hand. He is the sole heir to the throne of the Numenorians, which is now Gondor and Arnor. And because we're looking back on history, we're looking back into this story, knowing what happens, we have certain assumptions. That the ring would start working right away. That, like in the movies, you end up with this scene with Isildur up at Mount Doom, getting ready to toss the ring in and then turning back and looking at Elrond and saying, no, it's mine or whatever the exact line was. But that's not exactly how it happens. And when you think about it for a moment, that's not exactly how the ring works either. It didn't immediately corrupt Bilbo or Frodo. And that wasn't because they were hobbits and somehow more resilient to it. Although they were Gandalf notes that hobbits are seemingly more resilient towards the temptations of evil. But Isildur didn't all of a sudden just become a bad guy. We know that he took time after the battle to replant the white tree. Remember, it was in what is now Minas Morgul. There's no need to put it back there. That place is corrupted and nobody's going back to that location. And so he plants it in the citadel of Anor in memory of his brother who passed in the battle. And then he departs Gondor. He takes up a group and heads to the north because it's his job to now take on the kingdom of Arnor. 
where his father previously reigned. And then he passes on the kingship of Gondor down to his brother's son, his nephew. It says in the text that soon he departed, and after he had given counsel to Menildil, his brother's son, and committed to him the realm of the south. That's Gondor. So if the ring had turned him into this greedy, powerful, dark lord of some sort, he wouldn't have handed off his previous kingdom to his brother's son in order to go take on the kingdom of his father and rule up in a different part of the continent. He would have claimed both for himself, but he didn't. He had plans. He thought he was going to honor his brother. He thought that this kingship of the South, because they were co-rulers of Gondor, should go to his brother's son. So he leaves the kingdom to him. And now that Arnor is without a king, he takes that for himself because he is the last descendant, the last direct descendant of Elendil. These don't seem like the actions of a tyrant, somebody who's been corrupted by the ring. But yet the ring begins working anyway. He will not give it up. He turns against the guidance of the wise, and he decides to keep it as an heirloom for his house. Again, not understanding fully what the ring will do. We know the rings give long life, and we know that when the time comes for him to hand off the ring to somebody else, if if ever that actually happens, he's not going to do it. Because the ring will have taken hold of him. But he doesn't know this. This is one of those things you have to remember when reading about this. And something that dawned on me when reading through this again. Nobody other than Sauron up until this point had ever claimed the one ring for themselves. Nobody. Nobody knows in this world from their perspective exactly what will happen. They have a sense of what happens to the other rings when they are connected to the one ring and the one ring is on Sauron's finger. They've got a sense of domination that radiates out from that and tries to control those other ring bearers. And by this point, they probably have seen some of the effects of the other rings turning people into wraiths or turning hordes of the dwarves against them and drawing dragons to them and those kinds of things. But the one ring... Nobody knows exactly what that will do. They feel in their hearts that this is a terrible idea and that they need to get rid of it. But they don't know for sure. They also don't know for sure what's going to happen with Sauron. If and when he will return. What happens to his spirit. Or how long that might take. So Isildur takes the ring. Heads off to the north in order to continue the work of his father. But it doesn't go exactly as planned. I am so excited about our sponsor this week, Marvel Strike Force. I freaking love Marvel Comics. Growing up, I collected comics and the trading cards, and I've seen 
pretty much every Marvel movie they've made so far. So if you're into Marvel like I am, go check out Marvel Strike Force. This is a mobile squad RPG. You can collect and unlock all the different heroes. You fight against supervillains. There's a campaign. There's a blitz mode. There's an arena. There's a constantly evolving meta. And right now they're celebrating the Deadpool anniversary event. This is a mission from Strike where you log in the first time and you unlock this generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, a bunch of other items. It is absolutely the right time to jump in and try this game out. Click the link in the show notes to download it now and then use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L, MAXPOOL. Don't miss out on all the free stuff and thanks again to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the middle of the show. This is where we get to do the shout outs to our patrons and all of that stuff. So let's just dig into it. We have some new Patreon patrons, 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 words are hard, uh, who have signed up over the last week. Welcome to let's start with uh, Stuart and Gerald CFC and Scott B, Harold S, Tim and K, Vinny T, and Lizzie A. Welcome. Lots of new patrons. Welcome to the Patreon. I hope you're enjoying the ad-free episodes. I hope if you've signed up for tiers where you get t-shirts and stickers and all of that stuff, I hope you're enjoying those. It'll be a few months. Every three months they come out. So hope, hopefully you stick around and, and get those and uh, enjoy those. Uh, also, we've got our VIP patrons we have to shout out every week. All right, let's see how fast I can get down this list. AK Music Lover, Anakin Skywalker, Aragorn Third, Austin C, Azzle Razzle, Barney D, Bo, Black Squirrel, Brandy D, Chewbacca, Cutter Metalworks, David S, David M, Drupal, uh, Eru Iluvatar equals Jesus. That is an interesting, I'm sure somebody updated the name because I don't remember shouting that one out specifically. Uh, Esoteric Rage, Fulcrum, Gavin Alaf, Gerald CFC, Gemma D, Jesse P, Jesse, or I'm sorry, Katie L, oh, I already goofed up, Katie S, Capenna, Larry, Lori B, Nick K, Nick L, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Peace Lutheran Church, uh, Sam B, Swiggy Sue, TJT, Tour Son of Whore, Tyler M, who at the, and who let the Juan out? Oh, I've done better in the past. I thought I was getting better at this. Uh, but thank you for your support. And, and to all 176 of the patrons that we currently have, holy moly, thank you for being here. Also, we have some new reviews that showed up in just the last week. This one comes from uh, Rich the Banner Spear in Canada who writes, great stuff, would love for you to dive into the Return of the King appendices when you're done with the Silmarillion. Yeah, that's definitely a target uh, for future episodes. Um, I think I'll go to the Lost Tales first, uh, but then maybe turn over and check out that stuff. We'll see. 
we'll see. We'll see how it makes sense to kind of lay everything out. I'm, I'll figure it out for sure. Uh, but thank you for that five star review. And then this one comes from Sam, the real hero. Totally agree. Sam is the real hero uh, from the United States. He writes, amazing. I tried to read the Silmarillion about a year and a half ago after discovering Tolkien and becoming obsessed with his works. But although I eventually made it through the book, none of the information really stuck. This podcast has been an amazing way to make the stories stick for me and dive back into Tolkien's world. The narrator is amazing, especially when he mispronounces narrator. That's my edit. I added that in uh, and really does an incredible job of immersing you in the story and breaking it into bite sized chunks. For those of us who had trouble with the Silmarillion or just want to know more about the vast history of Tolkien's world. Great job, robots. Keep up the great work. Thank you so much, Sam. Uh, If you are looking for other ways to help out the show other than signing up on the Patreon, of course, leaving a five star review on Apple Podcasts. We'll read that out in the future episodes, rating the show on Spotify, telling your friends and family. All of those things are extremely important to making sure a podcast actually works and it gets out for new people to find and all of that. So thank you for all of your support. Let's move on with the rest of the story about what's going on with Isildur. Here we go. So what do we know about the ring, the one ring and Isildur and what he decides to do? Well, you have a very specific section in this part of the text that addresses it. It starts off by saying this, the ruling ring passed out of knowledge, even of the wise in that age, yet it was not unmade. So we get a glimpse and we're getting towards some of the stuff that is revealed in the Lord of the Rings about what goes on with the ring. But again, in a slightly different uh, kind of angle to the to the story and uh, different words are used, which always elucidate things a little bit more, like I've mentioned before on the show. It goes on, it says, for Isildur would not surrender it to Elrond and Círdan who stood by. So when we talk about the wise recommended that he destroy the ring, that sort of thing, Elrond and Círdan, those were the ones who were left. Gilgalad isn't mentioned. And strangely, Galadriel, not mentioned here either. They counseled him to cast it into the fire of Orodruin, nigh at hand, because they were close enough to the mountains to just climb up and toss it in. They weren't standing on the precipice like it shows in the movie, in which it had been forged so that it should perish and the power of Sauron be ever diminished, and he should remain only as a shadow of malice in the wilderness. Now, it's not clear in this passage if Elrond and Círdan know that's what's going to happen to Sauron, or if this is just a smart decision, and the narrator is telling us what would have happened should the ring have been destroyed there. My guess is they're not 100% sure, but their instinct is get rid of it, It's evil. But Isildur refused this counsel saying, and get this, this I will have as Weregild for my father's death. Weregild means recompense for the death of somebody, a family member or something like that. So basically my father died at the hands of Sauron. This will help make that right because it's, it's something of value that I can take in my father's stead. And my brothers, so for both father and brothers, was it not that I dealt the enemy his death blow? Basically, he's saying, this is mine. 
you should give it to me because it's my birthday. I mean, it's not his birthday. You, you get the analogy, though. This idea is already planted in his mind by holding onto the ring that he deserves it. This is a gift. This is something that is his alone, and he has justification for it. We've heard that before. It does the same exact thing to Smeagol. And the ring that he held seemed to him exceedingly fair to look on, and he would not suffer it to be destroyed. Again, it begins to appear precious to him, just like it does to Smeagol. So this is where he decides that he's going to head to the north. He's going to take this as a family heirloom for everything that's going on. Pass it down because it's so valuable and it's so, so beautiful. But on the trip, the story unfolds in ways that we've heard before in The Lord of the Rings. But Isildur was overwhelmed by a host of orcs that lay in wait in the misty mountains and they descended upon him at unawares in his camp between the Greenwood and the Great River. He was working his way through the Misty Mountains of all places, which we know at least 3,000 years from now is a dangerous place where there are many orcs that roam, and he was overwhelmed by them. And it even implies a little bit that they understood that he was traveling through that area that they had kind of planned a trap and unlike in the movie where they are on horseback and walking their way through the wilderness at the time they are in camp and you would assume the camp of the king would have guards posted it would be a massive group traveling together armed to the teeth but Isildur makes another mistake here that is clearly influenced by the ring. For he was heedless and set no guard, deeming that all his foes were overthrown. This pride, this sense of, I've killed all the enemy, I've destroyed evil, who is there to fear? That doesn't sound like something that Isildur would just assume He's seen evil many times. He knows that there are still orcs out in the wilds, and yet he sets no guard. And it is tragic. There, well nigh all his people were slain, and among them were his three elder sons. And this is important. Elendur, Eretan, and Kirion. But his wife and his youngest son, Valendil, he had left in Imladris when he went to war. Remember the, the council got together. The, the actual alliance was formed in Rivendell, Imladris. And there he left his wife and his youngest son in order to keep them safe. They didn't need to be on the battlefield. And because of that decision, the line continued. But this attack on his camp wasn't his final end, at least not yet. Isildur himself escaped by means of the ring. And get this, for when he wore it, he was invisible to all eyes. It has the same effect on him as it did on Frodo and Bilbo. 
But the orcs hunted him by scent and slot until he came to the river and plunged in. And this is the part that is very similar to what is shown in the movie. There the ring betrayed him and avenged its maker, for it slipped from his finger as he swam. Remember, the ring can make some of these decisions sometimes. And it was lost in the water. Then the orcs saw him as he labored in the stream, as he's trying to swim across this active river. And they shot him with many arrows. And that was his end. Only three of his people came ever back over the mountains after long wandering. And of these, one was Otar, his esquire to whose keeping he had given the shards of the sword of Elendil. And this answers the question, why is it that the shards of Elendil are in Rivendell? How did they get there? Elendil was killed. Isildur took up the sword and cut Sauron's hand with it. He cut off the finger. And he must have taken those shards and brought with him back to the north. But of course he would have dropped that as well. So we have this little glimpse of his esquire who somehow probably managed to stay with him, evaded the orcs, there's no specific details here, and was able to take the shards back. And if the body had survived, at least not been drowned under the water, it probably would have floated. Maybe he would have found the body, there was a pouch on his body, and the hilt of the sword still at his waist, something like that. He's able to take the sword but of course doesn't find the ring because the ring is now at the bottom of the river and then we get a little bit more about the shards of narsil thus narsil came back in due time to the hand of valendil isildur's heir in imladris but the blade was broken and then this line and its light was extinguished and it was not forged anew this idea that the sword itself contained some light, some, some magical properties, like many of the elven weapons all had some sort of special property to them. And in the breaking of it, that light was also extinguished, which means that the reforging of it 3000 years later, a light was now ignited back in the blade. And then we end up with this final line. And Master Elrond foretold that this would not be done until the ruling ring should be found again and Sauron should return. But the hope of elves and men was that these things might never come to pass. A few things here. Come to pass. One of those famous lines that is used in the movies and is particular to Tolkien's style of writing but also not really a way that we speak anymore, at least most of us. But we also get a second thing of note here before we wrap up this episode. Elrond foretold that this would happen. He knew or could see things in the future. This is one of those character details of Elrond, something that we learn about. He has the gift of foresight. This is something mentioned in the films. He gets glimpses of what's going to happen in the future and is able to make decisions based on that. But just like so much of the time, not everybody trusts this and people hope against it. 
that maybe Sauron will never return. But we know that that's not true. Thanks for listening to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast. If you'd like to learn more about other fantasy worlds, check out my other podcasts, the Elder Scrolls Lorecast, the Witcher Lorecast, and more at robotsradio.net. If you'd like to reach out, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a note on Twitter at robots underscore radio or join our amazing community on the Robots Radio Discord. There are links in the show notes or just search Robots Radio Discord or find the link on robotsradio.net. I'll see you next time. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.